Today on Ag News Daily. What happens in Western Canadian and their supply side of things probably means more to your grain prices than to our grain prices here in Ontario. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is already Tuesday, May 30th, 2017. I'm Mike Pearson, one of the hosts here at Ag News Daily, and I am joined today, as always, by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm good, Mike. I'm a little sunburnt, but no complaints otherwise. That's good to hear. I imagine you got sunburned while you were out there probably putting up hay or maybe getting some <laughs> planting done, wrapping up the season. Ooh. Is that what was going on? Not quite. I went to Lake Table Rock for Memorial Day weekend, and we went boating and skiing and tubing and wakeboarding and lots of lake time. Did you go into Branson at all? No, we didn't end up going to Branson. That was going to be our game plan if it rained, but we ended up having some pretty good weather, so we stayed out on the lake most of the time. So you did not go to Branson and hear Yakov Smirnoff at his comedy <laughs> theater? <laughs> No, and honestly, I've never been to Branson because my parents always used to tell me, no offense to anybody that likes to go to Branson, but my parents always called it the old people place to go. Oh. Yeah. Those might be fighting words. I've met a couple might people be. who love Branson. I know, and I, I've never been there, so I can't say one way or the other. Okay, and I haven't been either, so I won't pass any judgment. I have heard that uh, Yakov Smirnoff is hilarious. All right. What and did he's... you do for uh, Memorial Day weekend? I worked, Delaney. You know how it you is. You liar. I'm always working. No, that's liar. true. I'm lying. I went to Lake of the Ozarks. I was also down in Missouri. This was my first time at Lake of the Ozarks, and I loved oh. it. It, was, uh, it wasn't terribly crowded. I guess I don't have anything to compare Good. it to. Mm-hmm. But uh, had a nice little rental house and rented a boat for a day, which, you know, next time I'm, I'm just going to you know, rent it for the whole time I'm down there. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. We it's did nice. get some rain. We got some some thunderstorms on Saturday, and uh, had my cows get out, of course, while I was gone. <laughs> so big hats off to the neighbors who who rounded them up and got them all back in. So, you know, life carries on, I suppose. Now I'm back. Now I'm home. Now we're ready to talk about news, aren't we, Delaney? Yeah, you seem to be having a lot of problems with your cows getting out, Mike. Uh, well, the problem is, so we've been expanding the feed yard and. As we've been doing that, so the the area where we always keep the cows in the feed yard itself has been off limits to them because, you know, I blocked them all out so we could tear out the fences and do some reconstruction. So they have been on this tiny little strip of pasture, and I've just been feeding them hay and, and seed corn shucklage, and they're they're getting tired of looking at all the green grass on either side and, you know, testing the fences. And what I've found is I am not a very good fence builder. And they are always finding weak spots. Mm-hmm. But now the feed yard is done. The cows are back in the feedlot with heavy-duty fence. And they are much happier. Well, good. That's good to hear. Yeah. So do we have anything in the world of news today, Delaney? We do. It was a long holiday weekend, so we're back in full force now. Um, Representative Rick Crawford, who proposed a bill... I don't remember how many months ago, to try to get Cuban exports and imports back into the United States, has drafted a new version of his bill to allow financing of U.S. agricultural exports to Cuba. And that comes after 10 months of negotiations between lawmakers. Uh, So the the new bill would impose a 2% transaction fee on 
all ag sales to Cuba and direct the revenue to thousands of U.S. companies and citizens that have certified claims of property confiscated by the Cuban government. That's interesting. So this is a way, basically, to make Cuba pay for the land they stole back in 1959. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure those people would rather have their property back, but at least getting paid for <laughs> yeah. it is, is something. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's interesting mm -hmm. you mentioned that because it was also reported earlier today, in fact, that the Trump administration, which has been reviewing the Cuba policy that President Obama rolled out in the final uh, two years, I suppose, of his presidency, they're getting close to finishing their review, and they are going to change a lot of those travel and trade regulations that Obama had relaxed. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not we're still going to be allowed to trade with Cuba. Well, there was that bill, too, separate from the one that Representative is uh, trying to push through recently, Representative Crawford. But there was a bill trying to open trade with Cuba, too. I uh, don't remember how many weeks ago that was that we reported on that, Mike. You know, that's true. And I think we're going to have to do some digging here to see, I believe... Well, I guess I, I shouldn't speculate. We'll have to dig and see what would happen if Trump decides to roll back Obama's relaxation, but Congress decides to pass laws allowing trade. Mm -hmm. I think Congress would supersede the president's executive order. I think order. so. Yes, I think that's correct. Okay, so we'll continue to do some digging there. A lot of stuff happening on Cuba after it had been relatively quiet on that subject for uh, I don't know, a couple of years, it seemed like, or at yeah. least a year. Right. Well, in other international news and related to trade, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and President Trump were at a three day long meetings together in Europe. And they uh, Justin Trudeau tried to duck commenting on what he and President Trump talked about. But uh, people close to him Canadian government officials said that they did have a 30-minute bilateral meeting on Saturday morning where the two discussed not NAFTA specifically, but instead talked about softwood, lumber, steel, aluminum, and aerospace. All right. So those conversations continue. It sounds like we're dancing around on the outskirts mm -hmm. of NAFTA. Well, I think part of that, too, I don't know exactly what... Trump can and cannot talk about, but with that 90-day grace period of when Congress gets to discuss NAFTA's renegotiation, remember back in May, early May, I think it was like May 18th, President Trump officially requested to formally renegotiate NAFTA, and so I'm not sure what he has to abide by, whether he can specifically talk about NAFTA until after that 90-day period is over. Gotcha. That would explain the, the tiptoeing. Right. Yes. Hmm. Well, you know, also last week you made mention of the the conversation or perhaps the overtures that were made between Glencore, the uh, the mining and trading company had made to Bungie about possibly maybe acquiring their North American trading arm. Well, Bungie came out and said, hey, we're not interested. We're not in any talks with Glencore. And so Glencore has now kind of gone a different direction and they have set up what they call Glencore Agriculture. And this is, it's interesting, the way these, these uh, companies find ways to make things work. So Glencore bought 
Viterra, the Canadian-based uh, grain trader, in 2012, and then in 2016 sold half of it to two different investment funds, the Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board and the British Columbia Investment Management Corporation. And that was in 2016. So this year, they're partnering up with those two funds with this Glencore Agriculture, and that's how they plan on uh, continuing to grow their agriculture business. And uh, the CEO, uh, Glasenberg, said, quote, hopefully it will get bigger in the future, unquote, referring to their trading business, whether mm -hmm. or not anything happens with Bungie. Well, yeah, I always thought that was kind of odd because Bungie is an international company already, so I didn't really know what the benefit was of them joining Glencore. Right. Yeah. Where's the uh, where's the value in it for Bungie? And apparently right. they agree with you. Right. Well, all right then. I have some news coming out of Indiana. Um, they have decided to officially start the rulemaking process to classify dicamba agricultural use pesticides as restricted use pesticides. And so I did a little digging on what that meant. And a restricted use pesticide is a pesticide that would not be available to the general public. So in order to use this dicamba product, you would need a pesticide applicator's license or be under the direct supervision of a certified applicator. So they're trying to make any any product with at least 6.5% dicamba in it a restricted-use pesticide, and specifically to protect some of those specialty crops like tomatoes, gardens, ornamental crops, etc., Gotcha. So I won't be able to go to my local farm store and just buy uh, generic dicamba any longer is what it sounds That's like right. unless I've got a license. That's right. And I don't know if there's any other states. I should have done a little more digging. If there's any other states that have dicamba restrictions, but I'm guessing since this made headline news, they're one of the forefront leading states to do something like this. And this was Indiana? Yes. Okie doke. Well, you know, while we're speaking of the Corn Belt, uh, DTN reported today that this could be a record year, and I'm sure this will be shocking to a lot of our listeners, but it could be a record year for corn replants. Um, according to their reportage, most of the companies they've talked to have ranked 2017 as either the first or second in terms of uh, total seed needing to be replanted. We've got uh, Bex has said this is historic. Burris Seed said 1993, back in the floods of 93, is worse so far. Agrigold says the wet 2008 might be worse. But all in all, this is a big, big year in terms of replant. And uh, they all do say that uh, their seed supply is holding up. So folks don't need to necessarily freak about running out of seed. It's just a matter of, gosh, we're, we're almost into June, and we're still worried about replants. Mm -hmm. That's frustrating. Yeah, that is frustrating. I agree. I just had one more little story here. It's not really a story, but I thought it was kind of funny. Texas lawmakers have passed a bill that would make it legal to hunt feral hogs from hot air balloons. Hey, hey, there we go. So now has the governor <laughs> signed that already? I... I haven't seen whether the governor has signed it or not. All right. I've got to imagine that as soon as his you know, signature is on that legislation, there are going to be folks chartering hot air balloons like crazy to get up there and blast those wild hogs. Actually, okay, I just, uh, just did a quick search here. It says the bill passed the Senate last Wednesday night. 
and is now going before the governor. All so right. maybe soon. Save your pennies, ladies and gentlemen. You can go down to Texas, get in a hot air balloon, and blast away. <laughs> maybe people will start coming to the U.S. for feral hog hunting in a hot air balloon. You know, that would probably be one of the best things that could ever happen because those feral hogs are terribly invasive. <laughs> yeah, you know, they and, are. And I as far as I'm aware, and I suppose I should knock on wood, feral hogs aren't much of a problem yet in Iowa, but mm-hmm. Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, man, Texas, gosh, they they just spread like crazy, and they are coming north. So let's nip them in the bud down there in the south. There was news out of Oklahoma today. Melissa Morton, who embezzled, she's pled guilty to embezzling $2.6 million from the Oklahoma beef checkoff over seven years she has uh, pled guilty and is now just waiting to be sentenced. All right. And I doubt any of that money is coming back. You no, know, I'm sure I would doubt it. So. Find her for all of it, but I'm guessing if she embezzled it, it is probably gone. Yes, I would agree. You're probably right there, Mike. Yes, indeed. And I just had one other uh, interesting story to report. This is from the Financial Times. And, of course, we have been covering the JBS Brazil saga for the past couple weeks, and it does just continue. So last week, Delaney, you had asked where the Batista brothers were. And I've got an update to that. Josely Batista fled Brazil last month in the company plane and uh, fled to New York. Wesley, his brother, continues to stay in Brazil and... Uh, and run the run JBS down there. All right. Yes. He hasn't been removed from running JBS then, huh? He has not. Wesley has stepped down. Excuse me. Josley has stepped down. Wesley um, is still serving as chief executive. But it sounds like their 100-foot-long Azimut yacht called Why Not is <laughs> making its way to New York, and it will be repaired and sold as a way to uh, to maybe pay off some of the fines. But the mm. big concern here, and this is something we have to be aware of, particularly, I would think, cattle feeders in this country, the structure of JBS is such that it's all owned by JBS SA, the South American parent company, but JBS SA has the capacity to borrow unlimited sums of money from JBS US, the American arm. And so now uh, traders, uh, you know, market analysts are worried that JBSSA, which is the group that's going to have to pay 11 point something billion reals in fines, is going to start pulling value out of the North American arm of JBS. And who knows what that's going to look like? That things could get tight. Liquidity could get hard to find. It could be a challenge. So if, if I were a cattle feeder uh, working with JBS, I would make sure that I was getting all of my I's dotted and T's crossed in any agreements with mm. that country, uh, that company, until this thing gets sorted out. Because it, the troubles are only continuing to grow for uh, JBS, it sounds like. Sounds a little scary for them and for uh, people here in the United States. Yeah, definitely an issue to keep an eye on. Well, Mike, did you have any other news, or was that it for today? That was it for today. All right. But should we talk markets? Let's talk markets. Let's talk markets, Delaney. So it was not a very pretty day in the markets. Uh, We're hearing a lot, a lot, a lot about weather. It's wet, wet, wet. But the rains that uh, were predicted to come across Memorial Day weren't as severe as people has expect, had expected. And I know some folks saw grapefruit-sized hail in parts of Missouri. It's 
tough to hear that wasn't as severe as expected. But at the end of the day, that is what kind of prompted this market sell-off. We're taking some weather premium out of the markets. As we take a look at the corn market, July corn today dropped seven and a quarter cents to close at 367 even. December corn dropped six and three quarter cents to close at 385 and three quarters. In soybeans, the July contract dropped 13 and three quarter cents, finished the day at 912 and three quarters. November beans dropped nine and a half cents, finishing at 919 and three quarters. In Chicago, wheat the july contract dropped eight and three quarter cents finished at 429 and a half the december contract dropped seven cents closing the day at 466 and a half now there is green on the screen as we look over to livestock. Live cattle June contract climbed 27.5 cents, closed at 122.97 and a half. The August contract up 90 cents, finished at 119.85. In feeder cattle, the August contract big move to the upside, climbed $2.97.5, finished at 149.92 and a half. September feeders up 275, closed at 149.50. In lean hogs, the June contract went back, tested that $80 mark, ended up dropping $1.32 and a half, closed at $80.50. The July contract dropped $0.90, cents, closed at $81 even. In milk, the June Class 3 milk contract climbed a nickel, finished at $16.56. So now, Delaney, those are all prices here in this country. Mm -hmm. But today, we're going to learn about what this means for the growers to the north of us. Is that right? We are. We're talking to a Canadian economist, Matthew Pott, and I think it's really interesting. I didn't really know a lot about how Canadians trade, but we will learn from Matthew. All right, folks, this afternoon, we're taking a look to our north, to Canada. We are talking to Canadian economist and author of Green Perspectives, a daily newsletter, and this is Matthew Pott. Mr. Pott, how are you doing up there? I'm good. I'm good. It's a little wet down in Ontario this week, but overall, it's so good. Where in Ontario are you located? Um, southwestern Ontario, so I'd be located um, typically around the Guelph region or the, the Kitchener-Waterloo region would be my home bases, and then spread out from there. But um, subscription-wise, I'd be right across Ontario from Ottawa straight to, to Windsor right now. Okay. So as a as a economist in Canada and a columnist, what do you write about? What do you talk about for Canadian farmers or growers? Um, I like to give a global perspective to the Ontario cash market and talk about the big picture things that are at play. Here in Ontario, we have the currency mirage in cash prices. You know, the Canadian dollar can can add a huge effect to where our grain prices actually end up, more specifically on soybeans and wheat than corn, but they still do have an effect on corn too. Um, so tying that in to what we talk about generally on the futures market as well and what these big changes mean here to our Ontario prices, because oftentimes when you read things in the American newsletters, they'll talk about the U.S. dollar, and that's very applicable to the future side of things and your cash prices. Um, but here we have that other question about what, well, if the U.S. dollar changes, what does that mean to the Canadian dollar? And so what does that end up meaning to our, our basis here in Ontario? And so I, I talk about some of that stuff and then give some perspectives to make, 
I like to make producers think about the bigger picture things about what's going on in the market. Now, you talked about the price mirage. Now, I have just pulled up my local cooperative's green bids and looking out at, uh, let's let's take a look at new crops. So for delivery, January 31st, 2018, futures price is $3.95.5. We've got a 48-cent basis, so the cash currently is three forty-eight. On uh, cash corn delivered January 31st to Grinnell, Iowa. What's the, do you know a cash corn price there for an Ontario grower at a uh, nearby elevator? Yeah, for for an elevator price, we'd be north of $5. I mean, for when you're talking that far, or around $5. Maybe not after today when we saw the futures fall, but we were trading between, for harvest delivery, for an elevator price in southwestern Ontario, on the close on Friday, we were trading between four ninety and $5 generally, right? Yes. Um, that means that a third one, once you get to January and February for the physical deliveries to the end users, here in Ontario, we do a, a lot of our corn ends up being delivered to end users here. We're, you know, we, and we can discuss some of that. It's very much a supply and demand almost equal market with some exports right now. Now, most but, of those end users, are they typically an exporter or is a lot of it going to feed mills? What's the, the grain situation look like in Ontario? Uh, feed mills, ethanol, um, similar to, to all that type of stuff. That would be the majority of it. Um, and then you have your export markets as well. Um, and some, some ingredient companies too. But um, the ethanol, same as um, what we saw in corn in the U.S., this, it's been very similar here in Ontario as far as the ethanol growth funds and all that, which have pushed up, um, pushed up corn demand through ethanol. And that's, um, that's leading to increased local demand as well, right? Right, yeah. So you, you did mention uh, a little bit earlier, why do you only focus on you, the eastern part of Canada? You said you don't really focus on the Manitoba or western part of Canada? Um, and Manitoba is interesting. Um, once you get out to um, once you get out to the out west, when it comes down to Ontario prices, those western what happens in Western Canadian and their supply side of things probably means more to your grain prices than to our grain prices here in Ontario. Just like a river basin, when you look at the, um, the flow of water and how it goes to different thresholds, you could look at the grain movement here in Canada and think about it similar. In a lot of ways, when you talk about um, our export markets, we're either going through the Great Lakes or straight down through Vancouver, um, et cetera. So it's almost, you're looking at two completely different sides of the country, right? And so the grain flow generally for Ontario will all go through the St. Lawrence um, as far as exports are concerned. Um, and so that, that's your major difference. So when you're thinking about your, like, you know, wheat prices, for instance, what happens out west is going to be more realized in the futures value for farmers here in Ontario than our basis value. It won't have any difference to basis. Mm. Gotcha. Now, Matthew, I want to ask you, a lot of the farmers here in the U.S. are listening. Heard you just say right around $5 for harvest delivery for corn, and they're, they're probably salivating. I mean, we're currently <laughs> at three fifty, and we are, boy, close, if not sub, break-even prices. Tell me a little bit, how does that $5 rank for Canadian profitability? Are most growers profitable at $5 Canadian cash corn? Yeah, we're profitable at $5, I would assume. The, the majority of farmers should be anyways. Um, now, that, now, that being said, 
we um, we're seeing equipment prices rise significantly here in Ontario, and all the input um, costs. Now, not like instantaneously, but it's one of those slow things that starts to happen. So a lower currency does mean higher um, input costs as well. So depending on the farmer, it, yes, it's profitable. Are we at risk that we could be below break even this year? If we see a decline in futures that is significant. Yeah, I, I, I think that that would be, it's definitely within the cards. Um, but right now we're, we're profitable. I wouldn't say it's a home run by any means, but in this type of environment, the, the currency side of things does give us the benefit of being able to sell profitable prices. That being said, you know, when it comes down to corn, it does help our situation geographically and all that too. And the fact that we use so much corn here in Ontario is good for basis side of things too. Yeah. Yeah. That's always helped yeah. get local demand, right and now, get bidders going. Right now, our new crop basis is relatively strong. Uh, when I look at U.S. dollar basis, I like to look at, I mean, basis, I like to look at it in U.S. dollars, right? So right now, we're relatively strong. Um, now, we're going to have, we're, we're on an export basis right now for old crop. Now, that could end up changing. Here in Ontario, we got, um, we're just like everywhere else, it seems, where weather has just been an anomaly in a lot of ways, so, Matthew, have you guys just been wet up there? Has that been the uh, weather phenomenon this year? It's been wet. Um, corn acres, some regions we are extremely behind. When you look at, like, um, the Middlesex region here in Ontario, which is one of our biggest corn-growing regions, it's the, there's some clay areas in that, um, that region that are behind. And there are questions now, and, you know, in a, in a lot of these regions, we're not going to be in the field very much this next week because we're expecting more rain, and we just got rain that will slow us down even more. So we're starting to look at the fact that we could see less corn acres here in Ontario and more, more soybean acres. Um, I think that's something that we can realistically look at right now. The question is, what does that mean long-term to our cash prices? And that's not as clear right now. When we look at soybeans, how does production differ in Canada than in the U.S.? Are you guys expecting to have a large soybean crop this year? Yeah, well, when it comes down to Ontario, our two big crops, as far as the grains are concerned, are going to be corn and soybeans, right? And so if we lose some corn acres, we could see some more soybean acres. Mm -hmm. What does that mean here? It just means that more will be exported, um, our excess soybeans are just going to ship out. So what does that mean? The cash prices here, um, I, I, don't, I don't think it will mean overly much. Not on, on the bearish side of things, I wouldn't bet that cash prices are going to tank here because we still are dealing with the same futures and then the currency that's helping out basis right now. So I think we're going to have more soybean acres if everything continues as is um, here in Ontario. But when you look at soybean planting progress, a lot of regions are still under 25% complete. So we're behind the ball on that too. Um, but some of those regions we have until the middle of June before it really gets too worrisome. Now, Matthew, you keep mentioning here in Ontario. Are you, do you focus only on the Ontario region or how does, how does Canada's market structure differ from the United States? Yeah. Can you clarify what you mean there? Yeah, so Ontario is a state in Canada, right? Province. 
Or Providence, Providence. sorry. Yes. Uh oh. So, (laughs) (laughs) do you focus only on that one Providence when you are trading, or do you look at Canada as a whole? You said you don't really pay attention much to what happens in the West. So I just wanted to know the what you focus on, really. Well, I don't pay attention when I'm talking about the Ontario cash prices. I pay attention to what's going on in the West. Okay. But when I'm talking about Ontario cash prices, it really, for my readers and the subscribers here, what goes on out West is not as applicable mm-hmm. um, to them. Um, it's just as applicable as it would be to an American farmer, I guess is my point, right? Okay. Um, so what happens with acres and wheat and et cetera. But, um, and again, it's, it's because Eastern, Eastern Canada is, is, as far as grain trade is concerned, is a totally different ballgame than Western Canada. And just because of the way that the export markets work? And, yeah, the, the divide between. If you look at, um, you know, Northern Ontario, if you look at a map and you get it to Northern Ontario, then you've got Manitoba, which is right in the middle. It's the, your grain flow separates right around Manitoba where it can go either way. So that's that's the big point there is the fact that here in Ontario, I focus, I guess you could say more on what's happening in the in the U.S. in the futures markets than what's going to happen in the um, West, because it really isn't going to have a lot of implications to our basis. Gotcha, mm-hmm. because most of the grain out West is more similar to the Great Plains grains here. It's a lot of wheat. Um, are, it, are they continuing to grow more? Uh, corn and soybeans as you get farther west, or is it still mainly wheat and canola? And You're starting to see in Saskatchewan where a lot of elevators, from what I've heard, again, I'm not calling sure. all these elevators, but from what I've heard is that they're starting to actually post, post soybean, um, soybean bids, right? Interesting. And you look at something like Manitoba, Manitoba soybean acres have increased significantly over the last 10 years. You know, Stats Canada's most recent estimates looking at the 2007 and 2017, you're talking about an increase of acres around 900% in soybeans wow. in Manitoba from uh, just over 200,000 acres in 2007 to about 22.2 million acres in 2017. So those northern soybean acres are really going to, I think eventually they might change the Western way of, you know, the Western grain culture, um, depending if that trend continues. But now, now that you're seeing more soybeans slowly into Manitoba, I mean, Saskatchewan, yeah, eventually the question is what happens to corn too? Here in Ontario, what I find interesting, we got some Northern, we don't plant a lot of corn acres by any means up there into the Northern states, I mean, Northern part of Ontario, but we do have areas that's um, Tamiskamen, which is uh, uh, basically they're using it for their cattle feed. But what they do for the first three weeks is put it under biodegradable plastic, plant the corn, cover it, and have a greenhouse effect, and the corn moves right through it. Huh. It's only around 20,000 acres, I believe. But and what, what was that anyways. called, Matthew? Or maybe even 2,000. Tamiskamen. Tamiskamen. Hmm. Interesting. Right. So... You kind of wonder, and I don't think I'd speculate too much on that, but you wonder if that kind of technology eventually does change the Canadian plains too. I mean, that's a long shot. Don't quote me on this, but well, it's you know, interesting we've how seen it technology... In, yeah, in North Dakota, you know, they're growing more corn and beans right. than ever as the technology's improved. And the genetics have improved, and um, 
yeah, we can start to grow things in different regions. And I, I think that's a good thing for the wheat market, which right now is grown everywhere. It'd be mm-hmm. good if we can start substituting some of those acres yes. into other crops. As far as ethanol or feed demand is in Ontario, do you see that growing? Um, well, one of our ethanol plants is going to double in size, but a lot of that comes down to, you know, the government and what, what, what kind of subsidies they're going to give. I, I don't know right now if I'd, I don't know, uh, to be honest, where, where I see that. As far as feed's concerned, it's relatively stable. It's, it okay. is what it is. $5, um, $5 cash Canadian corn isn't driving people out of the, uh, out of the demand side of the picture. No, and, you know, some of your American viewers aren't going to like this comment, perhaps, but we've got something called supply management here, which is a big stabilization for our feed prices, right? Oh. Um, when, it, when it comes down to the fact that we keep the amount of um, – there's a trickle-down effect with that. If we're going to keep our milk supply equal to our demand, more or less, that means that our feed supply – um, should remain relatively stable. You look at them, yes, pork's not like that, beef's not like that, but then the chickens are also like that as well, where actually from a farming perspective, in the long run, your cost, your revenue that, or your profit that you get from chicken farming does include your costs, which would be your feed costs, right? Hmm. And so that's, that's the blessing here that we have in Ontario grain prices to some extent. Yeah. That is interesting. It is It is just a very, it is truly a very different world than what American growers are used to. There's so much additional information Canadian growers have to process that it's probably good. They've got folks like you, Matt, willing to uh, help them through it. I, I, I like to think that, you know, you wake up every morning and your goal is just to help producers. It's good. It's fun. I like the challenging environment of having a lot of different things at play. I feel like in a lot of ways, People or farmers here in Ontario, when it comes to market information, have so much more information that they need to dig through than the typical U.S. farmer as far as where where are Canadian dollars going to go. And then following the same futures trends as what the American farmers would. Um, So sometimes we should pat them all on the back and say, well done, Canadian farmers. You bet. (laughs) Now, Matthew, tell us, how can folks get a hold of you? How can they subscribe to the uh, Grain Perspectives newsletter? Yes. uh, Typically, a lot of the people and a lot of my business growth is done through Twitter, and I'm assuming a lot of your subscribers to this podcast are on Twitter, too. So give me a follow at at Matthew Pot and shoot me a DM, and I can put you on a trial, and we can go from there. I do have some American people who are interested in the different perspectives as well, just because it's it's a new, fresh way to look at markets when you add in the currency side of things. That's exactly right. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Really appreciate the uh, the different insight that you bring to Ag News Daily. Thank you, and thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. Again, a big thank you to Matthew. I really like his accent, but I also really liked what he had to say, and I thought it was interesting and a little hard for me to follow at times just because their markets are so much more complex than ours with um, converting currencies and worrying about the basis and future pricing. It's a lot to take on. It is. It's a lot to take on. It's a lot to uh, to keep in your head every day when you're making plans for your business. That's for sure. 
Mm-hmm. It is. Mike, what do we have going on the rest of the week? We have all sorts of fantastic things going on the rest of the week. But tomorrow, Delaney, will be good because we're talking so much about demand. In order to get prices higher, we need to get strong demand. And a critical part of that on the soybean side of the ledger is biodiesel. And so tomorrow we'll be talking to Ann Steckel from the National Biodiesel Board. We'll get her take on the current uh, anti-dumping and countervailing duty lawsuits that are before the International Trade Commission. And we'll just have a little a little discussion about biodiesel as a whole, won't we, Delaney? We will. That was a good little summarization of what we're planning to talk to her about. Yeah, and we can't forget to mention, folks, the website is live at agnosdaily.com. So do log in there, check it out, poke all the buttons, make sure everything works. And if something doesn't, be sure to let us know. Shoot us an email or a a Twitter, you know, thing, message. A a direct message. Direct message, (laughs) that's right. And I just wanted to say, make sure you type in the www first. Um, my little brother texted me the other day and said, when you just type in Ag News Daily, it takes you to our under construction page. So make sure and put that www.agnewsdaily.com in the web browser. Okay. And I, they must have gotten that bug fixed. I just typed in Ag okay, News good. Daily and it came right to our website. So those are the Perfect. things, folks, that we're still collecting and, and working on. So let us know if you find anything. And uh, as always, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. That's right. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. We are still there. We're also on Google Play and wherever else you get your podcasts. So be sure to hit subscribe so you know exactly when those podcasts are live. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 